We want to take a moment to thank you all for listening to our podcast each and every week. Through your support, we were able to expand our podcast. You can now find us on iTunes, through the podcast app, or on Stitcher. And for most of the people around our age who probably have no idea what Stitcher is and didn't even know a podcast app existed, we're still on SoundCloud, so you can also find us there. But wherever you listen to this podcast, make sure you subscribe to the 3D Podcast so you'll know whenever a new episode comes out. Lastly, big shout out to our sponsor, Rob LeMay Associates. They've been one of the reasons why the audio quality on the podcast has been better. All right, enough of all that. Now here's this week's episode. 3D. Three. 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 Welcome to the 3D Podcast. Three D podcast. This is the number one podcast in the AUC. Number two, you know who's number two, right? You are my podcast. My yes. yes. Of yes. course. So <laughs> before we start talking too much, we have a special guest today on the podcast. It's just me interviewing her today, but Miss Anta, pronounce your last name though. I don't want to mess it up. You're perfectly fine. Enjoy. Okay. Enjoy. Yes. Yes. She is a student at Spelman. I'll let you give your introduction. <laughs> Uh, this is so funny because we've been like family since freshman year yes. since Dubois. Yes. Um, but my name is Anta Njai. I'm a junior at Spelman. I'm a political science major, double minor in economics and journalism from the south side of Chicago, Illinois. All right, all right, all right. Me. Yes, I wanted to have you on this podcast just to talk about um, some social issues. I know that you're very active in the community. Um, <laughs> As far as social justice goes, I know you just did um, a protest or a march or something like that. Would you you want to talk about what Definitely. that was about? Yeah. So that was with We the People ATL, um, along with the men of Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated, specifically the Pi Chapter here on Morehouse's campus. And they had reached out to me, um, knowing, as you said, how passionate I am about social issues, how passionate I am about community involvement and engagement with these social and political issues, and were like. We're gonna have this march this up and coming Saturday. Can you speak? Can you help us round up students in the AUC? So I did that, and we were marching for not only increased political involvement for the up and coming mayoral election in Atlanta, but to just also make people who are entering this neighborhood, which is the West End neighborhood, and many other neighborhoods within the Greater Atlanta area, that this is this is black. Like mm-hmm. this is this is what has been sacred for us. This is what has been our safe haven for so long. I mean, we're here to remind you that it's still going to be this way, regardless of how many buildings you try to build, how many people you try to throw here, even though they they don't belong. Um, and it was a it was a good it was a good aura, a lot of positivity, a lot of a lot of a lot of headstrongness. I guess you yeah. could say headstrongness yeah. definitely. Yeah. Um, and we marched all the way to the stadium. The white people were shook. <laughs> like, what's going on? We just came to enjoy our game. That's um, the goal. That's the that's goal. The goal. But yeah. the, the goal is to shake them because it's getting to a point where not only are they not even cognizant of the impact that they're having by rearranging our communities, by doing a lot of the things that they do, uh, but aside from not being cognizant, a lot of them really don't see it. And in order to bring that to their attention, you have to show them this. Mm-hmm. And we actually had a one 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 bystander. He was a white man. And he inquired what I thought was genuinely because what I've learned is that to assume that our oppressor knows everything about what our oppression entails is incorrect. This right. entire process is reciprocal. As much as we're trying to teach them, as much as they're trying to inflict on us, we have to teach them in that same process. Understanding the fact that they've just been socialized to believe this in some cases. But the young man was like, why can't, uh, we said, let's keep it. One of our chants was, let's keep Atlanta black. And he said, why can't it be all of us? Why can't, why can't it be, why can't Atlanta be black and white? And I turned to him and I said, can educational opportunities be both black and white? And he said, 
well, I mean, it can be up for all of us. And I was like, yeah. no, you're not hearing me. But can educational <clears throat> opportunities be for both black and white? But that's the thing, though. They say when we when we try to take something back, they want to say, oh, now let's have everybody be equal. But it's like even where I'm from, I'm from Durham, North Carolina, and that was considered like the first black Wall Street. Yeah. But people, black people in the community got so successful, doctors, lawyers, they was doing their own things that what did the city do? They built a highway right in the middle of it. And just broke the whole community apart. And it was like, it just messed the whole economic system up. And so now We're there's white people moving exactly. back in. And it's a, a, a crazy scene of gentrification, all kind of high rises and stuff like that. And it's not even like that black safe haven anymore. But it's like, it, it's always that kind of like white flight. And then they want to return to something and say like, oh, let, let's do it together. Now let's do it together. But... That's why, no, absolutely. That's why I think these conversations are so important. Before we got on there, we were talking about the importance of traveling. Forget abroad, even within the United States, right. and let's learn. Let's learn how different movement of our people has looked in different mm -hmm. states. I know in the city of Chicago, I mean, that was an epicenter for. I mean, it was one of the prime cities that people were coming to during the Great Migration, anywhere between after the Civil War up until the early 1900s, even leading into the into the early Jim Crow period. I mean, all of the black neighborhoods that were epicenters for economic stability, economic growth, and just social mobility, period. I mean, black families being able to purchase a home. That was unheard of down in the mm -hmm. South. Those communities just completely burned down to the ground. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's it's interesting to hear the different tactics that they've used to divest us away from our number one goal, which was attainment of citizenship, which we rightfully desire. We build our right, shit right. up. Right, right. Well, the, the protest you did was very positive, but as we've seen in late, we've had a lot of protests that are on the negative spectrum Absolutely. as far as Charlottesville goes and other places where they're trying to remove these Confederate um, monuments down and take the Confederate flag from courthouses and different things like that. Would you just speak on how you feel about, you know, the, the events that have unfolded in the past months and how you feel about people saying that we're trying to remove America's heritage or something like that, you know? So I think what's been the most interesting is the role that social media has played in all of this. As someone who studies journalism and seeks to enter this field, it's always in politics even. It's so interesting to see how social media grows larger and larger and larger in the discussion of politics. And before it was something that we hated, but now it's something that we're so grateful for. Because have we, if we if we didn't have Twitter to just, this, this is for Hurricane Harvey as well, if we didn't have Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to just complete, continue to refresh to see what's going on, we would be so out of the loop. In regards to Charlottesville, so for one of my courses um, here, and I always mention like the things that I'm learning because we're always learning. Like Learning mm -hmm. is a continued right. process and there's never ever going to be a point in time where I'll stop learning or anyone should ever think they've reached their peak. But in one of the courses here, we had to watch um, a Vice Land special on Charlottesville um, from the perspective of those, the, the, the alt-right the alt-right so the people who are advocating for conservative values neo-nazis kkk members just outwardly you know outwardly showing their, their passion and their love and their support for that side of this 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 political debacle and what i thought what i found interesting and in what one of the men one of the ringleaders of one of the organizations what i found interesting and in what he said was we're learning from black lives matter and we're learning from members of the alt-left, as they call us, even though we really can't be alt-left anything. Nothing that we've ever done has really mm. been our decision, but whatever. Mm. I'm going to use his terminology. He said, we're learning from members of the alt-left that activism and showing like outward displays, like the one in Charlottesville, of us unifying and us 
doing what we want and showing our message is the best way to communicate what we're doing. And I found that to be so interesting that from all that they can learn from us and from all that they can learn from what we what we speak on and what we do, you say, well, they round up and they go out in the streets. Yeah. Like, yeah. it was that, I mean, you that, missed the whole, you missed the whole, whole point. You yeah. missed the whole point. Yeah. Um, and to the point of, I mean, the violence was, the, it was hard to watch. It was hard to digest. Definitely. But even on Twitter, to my point of social media, seeing people say, this is not America. No, this is America. What social media has done and what advancements in technology has done has allowed us to place the camera in all of these different corners and crevices of America that weren't that that once weren't there. So now we're seeing America in the way that you have tried to ignore for so long. We've been saying that this is what America is, but now we have it on video and now it can be replayed a million times over for not only people in this country to see, but for around the world to see. And then now we are embarrassed. Do you think Trump's presidency has like emboldened that that belief? Absolutely. Even yeah. his commentary um, following Charlottesville. I mean, he's always been a man who can never really get his true point across. Word flubber is his best friend. And he's not really educated. I mean, I think people really forget that Trump lacks the, edu- the basic education that many presidents have even had to right. hold the position. Right. He gets on national television and says, what about when they came to charge at us? Excuse me, when they came to charge at the alt, when the alt left began to charge at the alt right. Us? Did you just say on national television that you align with the yeah, white supremacists? Exactly, Charles exactly what he said. So yeah. it, it's exactly what he said. It's exactly what he he's spoken throughout his campaign. It's exactly what he's endorsed beyond his campaign and beforehand. I mean, I think that for anyone to say that Trump's election is not correlated to the actions of Charlottesville would be asinine and would be very mm-hmm. redundant. Like, right? Is it a, a sheer slap in the slap in the face to all brown people around the world who have been? crucified by the system and aside from being crucified by the system we've been pinned up against walls we've been pinned up we've been pinned against walls just simply by the rhetoric of trump and just how evil that it could possibly just how evil it actually is um when i even when when people were expecting him to like bash the uh kkk and all the white supremacists i I thought to myself i was like if he would go out there and say negative things you know to the extent that we wanted to on that part, it would be self-hatred for himself because mm-hmm. he comes from that. Comes you know what I'm saying? Father was arrested at a Klan rally, different things like that. He's been involved in discriminating against black people in the housing market. So it's like Absolutely. that's it's self-hatred inherent. right there for right. him. So he's not going to do that. He's not going to live up to our expectations, what we think he's going to go out there and do. So, And it's just inherent. I think that our country is getting it's, it's been in a position where this has been the case, but it's this position in which they're in is just only deepening. We literally watched protesters in Charlottesville with grenades, with guns, with knives, with outwardly apparent tools that they intended to use to inflict pain on those people that were not in tune with their message. The level of backlash or pushback that they received from administration nowhere compares to the peaceful protest of Black Lives Matter. The only thing that Black Lives Matter and any other peaceful protest organized by members of brown communities advocating for the rights and the humanization of black people across this country and across this world, the only thing upper hand that they had over the the people protesting in Charlottesville were the numbers. And the number alone was enough to threaten police in certain yeah. cities all yeah. across this country to tell they them. They're threatened by one of us. They're so threatened by one of us. Thousands? Forget it. Yeah. And then, But then you see 
however many people were out in Charlottesville, I yeah. think it was it, it was it was hundreds or was it thousands? I'm not really clear I'm not on sure, the figure. Yeah. I'm not clear on the figure. But you see them with guns and you see them with knives and you have nothing for them, but you mm-hmm. have everything for mm-hmm. us. That's right. Um, that I mean, it's it's getting to a point where it's becoming too apparent. And what I tell my professors the same thing that I'll say right now is that. They think that by picking up the tactics of Black Lives Matter and other resistance groups of activism and organizing and going out on the street is going to perpetuate their message or furthermore perpetuate their agenda. It's going to make them look even more stupid than they look now because real facts are there are history books to prove that everything that you're saying is is invalid. There are history books to prove that everything that you're saying needed to have been debunked years ago. Right. We just weren't able to get to it because the president that we had in office wasn't as stupid as this one. But now we're here, and now we see that if we don't stop you in your tracks, our country is going to continue to go on a downward spiral. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's crazy because as much as this country has done to us, we still care about it enough to preserve it. Yeah, I think that that's been the most interesting point in all of this. We still care enough to make sure that we're, we're preserving the lives of our kids and our, our kids' kids and... Even members of white America's kids, you know, like Mm -hmm. we've always been, we've always had to be in a position where we analyze things not only critically, but in a way in which at the end of the day, we all need to come together. They've Mm -hmm. never had to analyze a situation in which they've had to Mm -hmm. compromise. You you get what I'm saying? Like, it's just so interesting, but that's why I'm so proud to be black. I'm so proud to be brown, period. We're just a different type. We've had to be a different type all of our life. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I want to touch on this because you you mentioned it, but, um, you know, Trump and President Trump and um, Jeff Sessions, they recently signed something. I don't know if they signed it exactly, but I think they're Mm -hmm. trying to put it into the works. Basically, it's it's a bill that will allow the militarization of local police officers. So when these protests happen, the police will be armed with all kind of shotguns, rifles, and different things that it's, it's hard to even imagine a local police officer having. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Why do they need a grenade launcher or something like that? What In what situation would they ever need that? But, like, do you think that... How do you think that speaks towards, like, where, you know, we're going as, as far as the country is going? Yeah, I think them even making a decision... I think them even considering that decision to be sound to combat what is quote unquote high crime rates in low income communities across mm-hmm. the country, whether that be him spewing his verbal hatred about Chicago, which is my city. I mean, I can speak to examples of him saying, we're sending in federal agents, aside from sending in federal agents, we're gonna send in uh, the National Guard. It only it only shows the lack, how out of touch both of them are with the struggles of our community, how mm-hmm. out of touch they are with the struggles of all minority communities that they claim to be so written with 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 crime and so written with you know low graduation rates like he says the most the dumbest things yeah. not knowing it's like word of mouth type thing word like of mouth stereo- type things yeah you very stereotypical it's like you, yeah you don't even know what has contributed to the low graduation rate in said neighborhood how right. about this they have a low graduation rate because there are no resources in the high school. They have no resources in the high school because the state's cutting funding for their district. The state's cutting funding for their district because we've zoned that district to be specifically all black. We moved all the white people out, thus and such. It's not on the it's not on the state's agenda to ensure that those kids get resources yet. 
you're asking those kids to perform at the same level and at the same rate as the students in the district that are getting all the resources and getting all the attention from the, from the state. So in situations like that, and this can be applicable, I'm speaking from for Chicago, for Illinois as a state, which is one of the most corrupt states in this country, but all across, it just shows how out of touch they are with us and how out of touch they are with our struggles. And it's, it's, it's hard, it's a hard pill to swallow. I was telling someone yesterday how our kids and our kids' kids and even us right now, particularly us right now, we have inadvertently taken on such a large burden. We have no choice but to make all of our actions intentional. We have no other choice but to think for the future. Thinking for the future in the sense of if they're not going to give this, if they're not going to give the resources to our students in school, we have to cultivate the schools that are going to provide those right, resources. Right. That's why all these, um, and I'm not really, I mean, in Chicago, the charter school network is uh, is despised because it's like, it's, it's a whole it's a whole lot that goes into that. We're not going to go into that. But the whole idea of so many black women across the country yeah. opening up their own schools, it's not yeah. for sport, it's not yeah. for fun, it's not for play, it's because... If y'all are going to do it, it's a, it's a black woman proverb. Fuck it, I'll do it myself. Right. Not right. even just black women. Well, it's a black woman proverb, but black yeah, men are yeah, doing yeah, it too. Yeah, yeah. Brown people all over are doing, are doing it themselves, and right. it sucks because we shouldn't have to do this. We shouldn't have to be the ones that grab a hold of... We shouldn't be have to be the ones that have to grab a hold of every facet of how we move in society to ensure that we succeed. We shouldn't have to move in a way in which we don't know whether or not anything that's provided by the government, anything that's solely ran by the government, has an underlying motive to dismantle everything that we worked for. Mm-hmm. Um, so when hearing that, I mean, they sound dumb. Because in yeah. Chicago, I mean, you can hop out with a rifle. You can hop out with yeah. as much as you're going to hop out with. They're going to still be banging. They're going to still right. be shooting. Absolutely. Get on the floor. Get on the ground, rather, and talk to them. It's just like the bar continues to be raised. The standards continue to be raised. But nothing more is being provided. If you're going to set the standard up higher, you have to provide more. If you're going to if you're going to say that our neighborhoods need to stop killing one another, stop giving them reasons to kill one another. Put right. jobs in right. the community. Put right. jobs in the community. I promise you, the, the prime reason, the prime reason for most of the violence in most neighborhoods across cities, and I only know this because I shot a documentary about it this summer coming out in October. Call where you from? Uh, I know this because it comes from boredom. These kids don't have nothing else to do. You ask them why they banging, they say because I'm bored. I don't right. have nothing else to do. There's nothing right. else to do out here. This is what this is what my city is known for. I'm yeah. a represent. If I'm just gonna be outside. And even even if you look at nature, like if you plant two plants beside each other and then put a, a, a certain amount of water in that pot, right? The plants are gonna fight each other for the water. One is gonna live and one might die. You know what I'm saying? One is gonna do better than the other. What they don't understand is like when you put these people in a certain place close range like that, you know what I'm saying, without res- enough resources, they're gonna fight for the resources. They're going to fight for the resources. So then you don't have jobs or you don't have, you see, you know what I'm saying? It, it, it's a, cliche, uh, a stereotypical or cliche situation, but you know, a son might see his mom struggling because there's no jobs, but then he sees somebody else who's on the block. Who's doing well? Got bands, got all these kind of cars, shoes. That's what he looks up to. But because there's a lack of resources, it's no, it's, it's no role model, and there's no, you know, nothing to look up to. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because there's nothing there for there's them. You know there. what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. I so. hate, I hate it because it's just like y'all know the cycle that you created. You took all right. the jobs when when white flight occurred. You took all the jobs to the suburbs. You know, black people don't have cars to drive all the way out to these suburbs to get to mm-hmm. these jobs. And I'm speaking in the sense of 
major cities, but I'm speaking in the sense specifically of my city that is similar to so many other cities across the country. You moved all the jobs to the birds. You know, black men don't have cars. They can't drive out there. So now there's a stigma between the mother and the father in the household. Well, who's going to bring in the bread? The father says, okay, I'm going to sell drugs. That's what's booming right now. Y'all put crack in all these major communities for a reason, not only to generate economic revenue for yourself, because that's where some of the money was going back to the mm-hmm. police departments and the government. You do that. You put him in a situation where he gets jammed up. You lock him up for the rest of his life. I mean, we're seeing all these cases cases reopening now. I mean, drug charges for a bag of marijuana, two bags of marijuana. You lock him up for the rest of his life. Take the father out the household. You got a mother with two sons and a daughter, three sons in some cases. There's no guidance. There's no there's there's no there's no leadership. There's no route as to how which way to go. They go to the streets. If you ask most of the kids that are on the streets why they're on the streets, they'll tell you why. Because this is what this is the place that has shown me the most love. Right. And so then when they come and they say, Well, to get these kids off the street, we're gonna come with stronger guns. Like man, It's not gonna work. It's not gonna yeah. work. Yeah. Like they feel so at home and so in touch with what's outside. Like it's, it's you can't you know, you can't fight a threat with a threat. Absolutely. It never works. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's like, I don't understand how they feel like that. that's going to happen. But hey. Hopefully they. Hopefully. Hopefully. Man, we only got, let's just pray we only got three more years of it. Yeah. Let's just pray. Yeah. Well, it is September 1st. We're recording this on September 1st. The football season starts September 7th. Mm. Kaepernick, Colin Kaepernick is still unemployed. Yes. A man who took a stand for, against excuse me, police brutality, mm-hmm. um, underprivileged people, mm-hmm. um, people who have been oppressed, not even only black people, you Definitely know what I mean? Not. He stood up for Hispanics. Everybody who's been oppressed, he, he took a knee because he felt like the national anthem did not represent us or did not, not even, it wasn't even that. It was that the American ideals and what 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 he sees today is not aligned with his, his personal truth. Absolutely. So it's like, how do you feel about that situation and and just you can just speak on that yeah Yeah. i think i love colin kaepernick for this i think that for a long time bystanders like us have been waiting for black athletes or people in these power positions to take that step to say we have all this power this money this influence let's use it for something good um so i commend him and i support him and all that he has done and all that he will continue to do um i think that the NFL making an, a bold decision to, I mean, he's not he's not on anybody's roster, mm-hmm. and no team really wants him. Um, it kind of shows. Uh, they say he's not worth the distraction. He's not worth the distraction. The distraction. This is a, this is a it, mind you, he led his team to the Super Bowl Absolutely. like four years ago. Yeah. So he's he's a, he's a a well known and and a proven quarterback who cannot get a job because he's not worth the distraction. the distraction. And it's interesting that they use the term distraction. The distraction is that your entire league is ran by, not even ran by, functions off of people who look like Colin Kaepernick, the people that look like who he's trying to represent. And I don't know how thick the check they're cutting is for all of the other black football players who are standing up saying, he needs to stand up, taking the knees and what's up. Like just the the the, the ignorant Michael Vick rhetoric. went up another tax bracket. Must have been. <laughs> yes. But then Michael Vick, he did. I, I do know that Michael Vick had apologized because yeah. I um keep up with his wife Kiapa Vick she on my social media. She, she got, got on him. That will, yeah. And he apologized about it. He was trying to say that his hair. He was saying like as far 
he said from an industry standpoint, the hair doesn't work for football players. But he said, I didn't realize how Afros could be obviously attached to the work that he's been doing. So he apologized for that. I think the last remark that I had read was Tiki Barber, who was somebody who, like, it was, you know, social media is crazy. They're like, Tiki Barber, you don't have the room to speak on anyone because you brought your your mistress to the delivery room in which your wife was giving birth to twins. And it's just so many other scenarios. It's another mm. football player whose name, yeah. Another football player whose name I can't think of right now, but I know the face um, they were saying was trying to speak and, and speak on behalf of the NFL going against Kaepernick. And what was oddly um, similar for all of the men who were speaking up and trying to say that what the NFL was saying was correct and what Cap was doing was wrong all had major run-ins with the league due to large scandals. Mm-hmm. Um, how quick those 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 ropes were reworked for for this in their favor. So that's why I wonder like how thick is that check and how can't they see the level of, of mental mental slavery for lack of a better word that they that they put themselves in for money. Um, I think that what Kaepernick is doing is causing other athletes to see their position as an athlete, to see their position beyond the field, mm-hmm. to see their position as people who impact the lives of kids. I mean, the, the, the primary primary support system for the NFL, for any major league sport, is always going to be kids. What message are you sending the kids? Kaepernick taking the knee is, is indicative of nothing more but the truth. The right. fact that our Star Spangled Banner and our Pledge of Allegiance make this country out to be an area that is free for all people who are here and we know that not to be the case not because of opinion not because Kaepernick is speaking about specifically what happened to his family but we have thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of pages of proof showing years and years of oppression underneath this same system this song is speaking of how could he not call it out how can you call him out for calling it out Um, and so to that point I support Kaepernick I hope that more athletes take the lead and um, yeah, I just hope more athletes take a lead. I just know that it makes it made me think about um, when he started to first revolt or whatever. It made me think about Jackie Robinson and the Negro Leagues. Actually, it made me think about the whole idea of there being separate the Negro League baseball teams and then the MLB. Mm-hmm. As of right now, we're in a position where those African-Americans or those members of color communities, brown communities rather, who advocate for separation, not because we want to enforce reverse racism, even though there is no such thing as reverse racism because we've never been in a position to be racist, but people look at us by saying, oh, you want everything to be all black. I don't want everything to be all black. I think that collecting our talent and saving it for the people that would benefit from it the most Clearly, we see the people that we've been giving it to could give a rat's ass about right. what happens to our people off any other day but Sunday and Monday. Right. They don't care. Um, and so to know that there are people who, that I'm, I'm happy that there are people who are thinking that there needs to be a clear redirection of talent away from that, away I, from that I kind of agree with that, simple, yeah. uh, that narrative of, as well. I've said this in the past, like, I feel like one of the most detrimental things to the black community was desegregation. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was desegregation because once you saw once desegregation happened, you have black people taking their dollars to white businesses and stuff like that and not supporting their local businesses. And even with the uh you know, the desegregation of schools, I never understood, you know, you would hear the stories of like, oh, these three black girls went into this all white school like 
me, I'm not going because you know why? Because I'm not I'm not going to be welcome there. And the teachers are for sure not going to teach me the right stuff. So I'm putting myself, my safety and my education in jeopardy by trying to get to a better school. So, but I understand that, that it's more to that. That's you right. know what I'm saying? We, as at, at the time, we didn't mm-hmm. have the funding right. to start us. You know, it wasn't and a lot of black schools, safety. but. The safety was a, yeah. a, a, a topic then, but I, I hear we're now yeah. in a position where. We're still not wanted though. Yeah. They still and don't we, want us. And we have the room to be independent of right. all of that if right. we wanted to. Imagine if, if black culture just ripped apart. From America, you know, from from white culture, from I guess. Society period. Everyone we, we run. Influx. We are culture. Yeah. We run sports, music, fashion, yeah. all these type of things, and, and they benefit from that and enjoy our entertainment. If we just strip it away, took all that away, then they'll want It'd us. Be a clear understanding yeah. of the contributions yeah. we make. Exactly. And that's my thing. They fail to understand our contributions. If we take exactly. away all our contributions, it'll be very clear the role that we play in society. Exactly. Very clear. Yeah. I agree completely. Yeah. A lot of people think that that's too far. What do they say? You're a black nationalist answer. I'm like, I'm not a yeah. black nationalist. I can tell you about a black nationalist. <laughs> and his name was Malcolm X. But yeah. his teachings, although he did advocate for black nationalism, it's just about black independence. We've never had a moment or a time to just be independent and just be, yeah. be us. Um, man. But always. I feel like... I don't want to be problematic, but Let's I feel like at this point, the only way there's going to be real change is either economically hit their pockets or violence. I mean, to me, that's why if somebody asks me about, are you going to a, a protest? Like, I'm not going to be there. Mm-hmm. I support it. Mm-hmm. I definitely support what you know what you did with mm-hmm. the protests and march that you guys did but me personally that's why i say like i don't i feel like you you ever see like a little yapping dog yeah. at somebody's heels like you just let it let it happen and then just kick it away so right. if, if we're going to the courthouse and we're standing outside you know the police will stand around the people inside will be watching from the inside but then after that happens what happens what happens Nobody takes it through the doors of the courthouse. Nobody takes it inside where it needs to be said. You know what I'm saying? And and that's why I don't really, you know, participate in those kind of things. But it's like it change needs to come. And I, right now, I feel like a lot of times we're not taking it to the source. Yeah. You know, the people who really need to hear it. You and know, that's so. why. And I agree with you. But that's why all of the work that I do is with children. Mm-hmm. They're the only hope that we have. Absolutely. And people don't, like, man, I swear, I was just at a job interview for this learning center. I got the job, by the way. But they were like, you're a political science major, yeah. econ, journalism, yeah. all your work is with kids. Yeah. I'm like, if you think for a moment that you can get kids to think about any of if you can even get kids to take in all that's happening in our world politically, you're wrong. Because most of our academic settings that our city, like our public school systems and our state school systems provide, don't even charge brown children to think critically. You can't think politically if you don't even know how to think critically. You can't think economically if you don't know how to think critically. If you don't know how to think at all, it's thinking even what's being taught anymore. I remember having a conversation with a junior when I was a junior in high school. Same high school system as me, Chicago Public Schools. We having a conversation. I'm talking to this girl. I have my books out. She, I'm reading that book in class too. I'm like, yeah, 
He taps me on my shoulder. Two of his homies, they looking down. Meek. I said, why, why are they looking down? He said, our whole education from freshman year to junior year has been worksheet-based. Yeah. They've never touched a single book. So right. then throwing those same people out of society and telling them to be able to think about this and be like, nah, bro, we don't need to be with them. We just need to be working on us, focusing on us. It's hard. So we have to grab the kids now and let them know, look, mm-hmm. this is what you are. This is where all of your benefits, anything that you ever create in society, this is the community that those benefits should go to. Not them, not anybody else, just us. Mm-hmm. Because it's only just us. And when all of this crumbles down, it's only going to be just us. Mm-hmm. And then the day, if all this, all, if it all burned down today, if it all burned down today, the money too, if all the money burned down today, we'll be able to put together a fire. Yeah. We'd be able to yeah. hook it up. Yeah. They, they wouldn't be able to hook it up. Yeah. They would not be able to. Yeah. <laughs> That's wouldn't. true. Well, I want to move, keep this conversation moving. Okay. You, you mentioned kids and all the importance of kids. So yeah. this summer, yeah. You went to, how do you say it, Kailicha? Kailicha. Kailicha, yeah. Cape Town. And yeah. you worked with a group of kids there. Let's just, yeah. yeah. How was that experience for you? Oh, my goodness. It was so heartwarming. So I wasn't just only in Kailicha. That was one of the townships okay. that I was able to be in. The students that I had actually taught, they came from a township called Izamuyetu, which translates to our struggles. Um, which was very fitting for the community because, as you can imagine, poverty levels were 80% and higher. Uh, but my students, they were so vibrant and so ready for the mm-hmm. world. Um, it's so crazy to know how impressionable American culture is across across the country. Um, hearing them talk about Spelman, granted a lot of Spelman girls had already matriculated through this program and mentored through this program in the same in the same facet and capacity that I was doing it. But they, they, they knew that this is a school they wanted to go to. They had it in their, their notebooks. These are fifth graders. Um, they had it in their notebooks. Um, it was telling. It was eye-opening for me as far as the importance of education, the importance of working with youth, the importance of just letting them know you can be mm-hmm. as you are um, and be just as great in this world as anybody else. And I think the number one assumption for people who choose to not occupy spaces with youth across the diaspora, whether it's in the U.S. or abroad, is that everyone's being told that they can be somebody. Everyone's being told that they can just be. Don't think that. Everyone is not being told they can just be. Their environment is not telling them that they can just be. Um, But yet they still push through. They still, again, vibrance is the only way that I can describe my two students who I still keep in contact with. I miss them so much. Like I can start (laughs) crying right now if I wanted to. But that just vibrance and just uh, a consistent and constant yearning to yearn to want to know more, to want to do more. Um, And that's why grabbing kids is so important because they have the vigor now. We lose vigor as we get older. It's very Mm -hmm. seldom that you you see vigor in people our age or older because you lose vigor as you get older. But the vigor is, is present in youth, particularly from fourth grade and up. So being able to be in their lives, seeing oppression, on an international scale was interesting as well. Um, like we were talking about off air, having a conversation with Africans and for them to have a conversation with an African-American about mm-hmm. white supremacy, about the white man. I mean, I thought we'd get deep over here, but I mean, South Africa is only 20 years removed from apartheid. So with that being said, the social construct that apartheid left is still very much in order all the way down to who's considered colored, colored meaning white skin, so you have some type of white blood in you, and black meaning your skin is darker. Um, social issues, economic issues, I mean, the colored townships, the townships are neighborhoods, the colored townships are houses, real houses. They're not mansions, but they're houses. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're well put together houses. 
the black townships are shacks and they live right next to each other the kids come mm-hmm. from these two different two different dynamics but they go to the same school they right. sit in the same classroom so colored colored people and black people go to the same they schools. go to the same schools but they mm-hmm. speak two different languages so colored students they speak a language <clears throat> called Afrikaans and then black students they speak a language called Izigmos so with that they have to not only learn one another's language, but then as they grow older, they understand, I know this language and I live over here because right. this is who I am. And right. they know this language and they live over there because that's who they are. Right. Um, again, only 20 years removed from the situation. And I think just being in Africa and seeing poverty on the wide, on the like the wide scale that I saw it um, was disheartening primarily because I was in Africa. You would think you would go to Africa, the home of where all of us originated and right. our people would right. be basking in the riches that they not only toiled over for years yeah. but it's it's all theirs it's, yeah. it doesn't belong to anyone but them um i give you a story me and two of the other girls who participated in the program they were white we went out to an italian restaurant that was like a couple steps away from where they have put us up at and the owner of the restaurant i was the only black woman in the restaurant everyone else was white but nobody from the township nearby would be able to afford to, to just go and eat at this mm-hmm. restaurant so they just assumed i was of uppity class like i, I was obviously yeah, yeah. one of them yeah. so there was no like wide-eyed looks or anything mm-hmm. to the point they thought that i was so much at their level to the point that they thought that they could speak to me negatively about the township that we were working with manny it was crazy look so he's in there and we're eating he brings the check around the lady taps one of the the lady to the next to the table to the next to the left of us rather tapped the one of the young women that I was sitting with and was like, um, are you all here with one heart source? You all are volunteering, that's the organization that we worked under. They were like, Yeah, because they consistently new cohort cohorts of students. They're like, just be very safe, you know, this neighborhood is really dangerous. Um, particularly the townships, don't go there at night, all this stuff. So I'm just sipping my tea, you know, I'm just I'm like, Where's this going? <laughs> yeah. So then the owner of the restaurant comes because our check was 500 rand. 500 rand in US dollars is $40. So it was just yeah. like a, man, they just spent a lot of money. Solid, yeah. Let me come yeah. out and speak. Yeah. So the owner comes out and he chimes in on the combo that the woman is having with, with her. I guess they were having like, you know, a white celebrity thing. It was an yeah. old white woman. Typically, yeah. like, if a black, an old black woman tapped us, like, yeah. we having the combo. I mean, we're not really thinking about the other people at the table. So I'm not really listening to the combo, but the owner comes out. The owner begins to speak outwardly to the table behind us about the people of IY. That's the township in which, like, Imizamuyetu, that's what it stands for, IY. That they were dirty, that they depend on the government for absolutely everything, that they're lazy, that he's more African than them. I turned around, Manny, and said, give me my fucking check. Yeah. Run me, just give me my check. I, I would like to go. And then I just start to go off. I... Now, mind you, I was a little tipsy. Wine yeah. is very cheap there. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it was like $10 a bottle. And we had to. So I was a little tipsy. I was like, are you serious right now? I'm like, do you think that I'm of you all's like stature? Like, I come, I'm from America. Like, I, yeah. I, I see what you see in IY in, in America. And I'm telling you right now, you will never be more African than those people in that township. Right. Look at your right. skin. Don't be so out of tune with where you came from. And right. Whether it was Ireland, whether it was France, whether it was Britain, that's your home. This is not your home. And that's the issue in Cape Town now. Cape Town is probably, not even probably, Cape Town is the economic epicenter of Africa. As far as what country brings in the most revenue, Mm -hmm. South Africa, specifically Cape Town, does that. But in addition to that, in cohesion with that fact, South Africa or Cape Town specifically is predominantly white. So many white people live there. And it was just, it was just a, 
which is a, a sharp turn left. The two girls I was there with, they were like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. I'm like, don't oh my goodness me. Like, he's just speaking yeah. so too freely for me, right. too, too entitled for me. Not on their soil, not on our soil. Right. Like, right, right. You don't even, like, you, like, and it was, it, having conversations with people who could possibly be out of touch with all that has culminated to even bring us to this point. Don't say that they're lazy people when you took everything from them. We never even had to step foot on their land. Everything was okay. And that was something that I have reiterated consistently throughout the program because surprisingly, as I don't I was surprised. I don't know if this would surprise you. Mm-hmm. We're in a classroom with all brown kids. You would think the diversity amongst the mentors in the program would be up to par. No, it's only three brown mentors. All the rest of them are white women. What? Yeah. So it's like I had to consistently remind them that Empathy is cool, but really being able to understand the fact that you are on no level or in no place, no in no similar place to the students that you're, that you're teaching or the people of this, this community, period, is yeah. important yeah. in all of your interactions and everything that you say and all the things that you do. If you want to make them genuine and you want to make them intentional, think about that consistently. So that was, that was just interesting for me. And the conversations that I had, again, were telling. I mean, we're all on the same page across the world. Yeah. Please believe me. Yeah. <laughs> White supremacy is the devil. Yeah. And it's noticeable in all societies. Um, how long they'll be able to get away with this just this injustice? One time will tell. Yeah. We're gonna rise up though. Yeah. We'll rise well, up. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. that was a great conversation. It was more <laughs> of a conversation than it was an interview, but yeah. that was a great conversation. Do you wanna you have anything coming? You said a documentary. You yeah, mentioned something about that. I know you have the podcast, yeah. Politicking with Maroon Tiger. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to get over there, edit y'all podcast. Yeah. Them, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, we do yeah. um, Politicking will start back heavy in September, mid September, just finalizing okay. our website and promotion and stuff. The documentary specifically is called Where You From. Um, it's not an independent project, it's also with a senior at Kenwood High School in Chicago, Illinois, Amaris Buford. She wants to go to Spelman. Brilliant girl. I've never seen the vigor, the drive, the hunger for for just life mm-hmm. since I saw myself when I was in high school. Right. So, uh, no, real, real <laughs> tea. Like, real yeah. tea. So, that's why I, I really, really rock with her. And um, I brought her on board and we were working together on it for two weeks before I left for South Africa. So, the whole documentary was shot in two weeks. Um, and it's called Where You From? And it's an illustration of the toughest and the darkest areas of Chicago through the eyes of its residents. Um, and only through the eyes of his residents because those are the only people who should control the narrative. And right. we know that that narrative is typically controlled by New York Times or Huffington Post journalists sitting up on the 36th floor of some high rise somewhere yeah. in New York or, yeah. or somewhere. You can't write a story about what's happening on 79th until you go on 79th or at least right. if you're from 79th and I am. So right. I took the story. we took the story and we said, again, black woman proverb, fuck it, we'll do it ourselves. Right. That's October. Great. That's when it comes out. I can't out. wait to see that. Yeah, I can't wait to October. see that. Well, again, thank you for joining me today. Thank um, you, Danny. I would love to have you again. You yes, know what I'm saying? When we have things come up, like, definitely come back. Definitely come back. So keep thank listening you. to his podcast, y'all. We've been rocking since our freshman year. He's valid. Thank you. Thank you. All yes. right. Bye. The 3D Podcast is supported by Rob LeMay Associates a government relations, communications, and policy consulting company based in North Carolina's Research Triangle Park. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the 3D Podcast. Make sure to follow us on all our social medias. You can find us on Twitter at The3DPodcast and on Instagram at 3 Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the 3D Podcast wherever you listen to us. 
on top of that make sure you give us a review thumbs up five stars whatever it calls for we would really appreciate that thanks again and hope to see you next week same time same place peace